Cryptocurrency is a use case of blockchain technology. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. My guest today is Nicholas Pruden. How are you, Nicholas? Hey, I'm great. It's a pleasure to meet you, Matt, and pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I know fellow Canadian, too, and you're from British Columbia, right near where I grew up. Yep. I love it out here, out west. I know, out west, it's funny how people talk about it. Like, like, you know what? There's something I just saw on Twitter. Not to, I mean, I was just saying this isn't going to come out for a month, but now I'm going to talk about something I saw today. <laughs> I saw on Twitter, they're calling, like, which province or territory is the, quote, Florida of Canada. And they're trying to pick, like, where are all the crazy people at in Canada? And then everybody kept saying, like, oh, well, California is like the British Columbia of, of the United States. <laughs> and I was like, I think it's a little more like Oregon. But I used to live in Oregon. So. Yeah, my, my call on that, if you, if you actually uh, want to dive into that one real quick, okay. I think Vancouver is very much like L.A. type vibes. I think Kelowna as a very good contender of being the Miami Beach of right. <laughs> it's like the place that people go for spring break who can't afford to go somewhere that's actually warm for spring break. Pretty much. And I mean, for good reason, you know, we got a we got a nice big lake. Yeah. No, no hate to any Kelowna individuals listening here. That's right. Go houseboating on the shoe swap and drink a hundred beers. Yeah, or check out the wineries. That's right. Oh, they do have some beautiful wineries there, too. So Nick is a veteran public speaker and team leader, able to pitch products, ideas, and concepts concisely and effectively while motivating and driving on targeted measured results. And he has over a decade or sorry, half a decade of experience in the blockchain industry. I don't want to say too long because the blockchain industry, it's been around for a while, but there is enough people in it that you could fit in a room, you know, at the start, right? Absolutely. Well, I would like to say that I have 50 years of experience in blockchain. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's right. I have yeah. so much experience with blockchain. I can tell you which coin is going to be worth what, when, or you could find that out on any Reddit forum that you go to. That's about crypto right now, but we'll get into that in a minute. So, and you work with one, which we're going to talk about. And, and I wanted to ask you like right off the bat, what is one? Yeah, Load.One is a project that believes in restoring gold and silver to the monetary system and using blockchain as the vehicle to make that happen. So we take hard assets, you know, real physical gold, real physical silver, vault it insured in over eight vaults around the world, and we tokenize it onto the blockchain for, for, for people to use as a speculative asset if they want, or they can actually use this digital gold and silver as functional money in their day-to-day lives. So that, in a nutshell, is what the what the project is 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 really all about and we've been around for about three almost four years now and we've we've actually met a fair amount of success we have members in over a hundred different community a hundred different countries sorry and uh getting close to that ten thousand mark in terms of daily active users so lots to get excited about within the project so back over to you matt sure i wanted to ask you you said that you tokenize those assets right for kind of Someone who may not be as familiar with blockchain or cryptocurrency, what does tokenizing an asset actually mean? 
Yeah. So what we are doing is we are backing every single one of our of our coins of our of our digital assets with a gram and milligram denomination of gold and silver. We have two separate ones for each metal. So, you know, gold coin and the silver coin, every one of our silver coins is backed by one gram of vaulted audited and insured silver, which when you accumulate enough, you can redeem for the physical metal if you want. So because we do want you to have that confidence of knowing that you do, in fact, own this metal. And then similarly on the gold side, it's a milligram of gold for every coin. So the idea is that if you purchase the the token or the or the or the coin, right, the digital currency that represents that metal, you could effectively trade that in with you and your company would send them the actual metal. Yeah, they can do that. Or, you know, presently we have a credit card program so people could, you know, send the load up their credit card with this digital gold, digital silver and go to the grocery store and buy a cup of coffee if that's what they want as well. Or the ability to swap out for, uh, you know, more, more high volume cryptocurrencies such as, the, you know, the infamous Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, et cetera, whoever is in the top. 10 of that given time. So really what we're trying to do here is create an entire payments ecosystem with gold and silver at its foundation, because through most of the world's history, gold and silver were used as a medium of exchange. And the the core, one of the core beliefs of the project is that, you know, silver and gold are in fact honest money and that people need currencies like this that are sort of inflation resistant and, you know, not backed by debt, so to speak. So most fiat currencies now are in the world, if not all of them, are no longer backed by any kind of material whatsoever. They're only backed by like the finance power of the country who owns the currency, right? It, that, you hit the nail right on the head and people are like, okay, well, well, who cares about $1 is $1. But, you know, it's kind of like a, a frog boiling in hot water metaphor that goes on here, right? Because of inflation that takes place, with almost all fiat currencies, if not all fiat currencies, your money is constantly losing purchasing power. Your ability to purchase the same goods with the same amount of money goes down year over year. And we don't notice because this happens very, very slowly. But even as a child, you know, I used to be able to get a can of pop for a buck and now it costs me a buck 50, if not two bucks, depending on where I'm at. Right. And there's there, it's not just inflation. There's more that plays into it. But the inflation plays a huge, huge role in this. And when you have sound money that is backed by something that has inherent value, you know, both are, are very big commodities in the world. The silver especially is, uh, you know, a very important industrial metal because of that inherent value. It protects it from the inflation that you see with fiat currencies because they're only backed by the nation's debt or wealth or financial power, as you put it. And now, and I, I know that I don't have an economics degree or anything here, but when COVID comes around and they need to do a stimulus and they print a trillion dollars of currency in the United States, somehow that makes the value of that currency go down per unit, right? Because there is more of it in circulation than there was before. That is, that is correct. And, and there's no, there's no limits on it, right? So how, how high can you possibly go before your, your dollar is eventually worthless? And we've seen this happen all over the world. You know, Venezuela and Argentina come to mind as some of the most uh, recent in modern history, but it's not the first time. In fact, given a long enough timeline, no fiat currency has sort of, you know, lived to tell the tale, so to speak, on a long enough timeline. And us in the in, in Western countries and, and in highly developed nations, we're definitely less at risk. We have monetary policy that helps protect individuals from this, but it doesn't mean that we're immune or that we're impervious.
this. And in fact, I think, you know, the COVID situation has really shed a lot of light on that, which is why, in part, you're seeing a huge trend in the market right now for people looking at alternative currencies and alternative payment methods is because um, they've realized just how fragile our institutions actually are. I think the Federal Reserve went down the other day. <laughs> you know, I, I at least at the time that we're recording this. So, you know, in light of that, it becomes obvious that we're we're working on these legacy systems and and technologies and methodologies that that could be greatly improved on. There's kind of an interesting thing. I was talking with a friend of mine who works as a financial advisor, and he was talking about people who don't really have a plan yet. Maybe they're young. Maybe they just never had any financial education or whatever. They're starting to make some money. They're trying to think about what to do with the money. And and a lot of them, the first thing that they do is they go, I'm just going to save it or I'm going to have a bunch of cash on hand. Right. And he's like, the longer that they're sitting on it, the more poor they're becoming. Right. Because if you got ten thousand dollars this year and you stick it in a bank at point zero zero two percent interest or whatever they give you at this point, I don't even know if that's it's negligible. It's almost like a slap in the face. Right. It's negligible. It is. And, you know, the one time you have to some kind of fee from the bank eats all the interest you ever made anyway. But banking is besides the point. If you have $10,000 now, that $10,000 does not buy you as much stuff in a few years. So then you have to have an investment vehicle that has a return on investment that is higher than inflation. Otherwise, your money is going down the longer you hold it. Hit the nail right on the head. Well, I was going to say, if you hold something like gold or silver, I mean, yes, the price does fluctuate, but it doesn't fluctuate nearly as much as a fiat currency and even less than, you know, modern kind of cryptocurrencies do because of the amount of speculation. And there's also, you know, like in the stock market, you saw with the whole Robin Hood GMC scandals, you know, that that there's there's manipulation in those markets that causes them to fluctuate that you have no control over. Yeah, I mean, uh, that is a huge selling point as to why uh, we believe gold and silver is actually a great vehicle for wealth preservation, as well as trade and commerce for your business. You know, certainly you don't want your wealth to be depreciating on a regular basis. But you on the flip side, you also don't want that volatility that is that cryptocurrencies are notorious for. And that's great. I mean, look, we're talking about that volatility has been one of the biggest wealth generation events of our lifetime. And that's that's fantastic. But as a business owner, how are you supposed to price your goods and services with when you have such high fluctuations in the market on a day to day basis? You know, that cup of coffee could be worth 10 bucks tomorrow or it could be it could be worth a penny, you know, based on how the market moves versus, like you said, gold and silver, which is, you know, a much more gradual slope and more often than not an appreciative one. You know, I should state this right now. None of this is investment advice. Absolutely not. We're not financial advisors. We're not economists or anything, right? But there's this story that I heard, and and I don't remember the name of the company because it was in Germany, and, and their company name was in German. But before the start of World War II, they had hyperinflation in Germany, right? And their fiat-based currency was going up so much, I think, at, like from the start to the end of their hyperinflation period, the currency had lost, like I think it had, the inflation was 3,600%. Like it was an insane amount, right? So you'd be working, let's say you made a hundred whatever Deutschmarks a day or whatever it was at the time. Well, that would buy you all your groceries. But a year later, you couldn't even buy a loaf of bread with it. And what had happened, though, with this one company is they kind of saw the writing on the wall with the inflation. So they borrowed as much cash as they could, spent that cash buying assets. And the asset they actually bought was gold. And then 
when the inflation went up, they sold a tiny amount of the gold, which paid off all of the loans that they had gotten because the gold, when you take the inflation, you know, maybe it was a thousand dollars a gram or a thousand Deutschmarks a gram to buy the gold before the inflation, but it was 10,000 after. Wow. Now they only have to buy one tenth of the sell one tenth of the gold to pay off all the debt they used to buy it. So when you're going into a period where you believe there might be inflation or hyperinflation, you want to try and get something that's not pegged to that currency. Theoretically, you know, I'm not saying go buy gold or go buy silver or go buy anything. I'm just saying that this is something that happened historically. A lot of money's been printed and uh, I, I don't know, I'm kind of seeing the writing on the wall myself, but I also, I should state that I don't work with load or <laughs> Nick, we just met, <laughs> you know, but if you guys want to hire me as a salesperson, I got a great pitch. <laughs> I'm sold. I mean, that was a great, that was a great story in a real world use case, right? Like I was saying, we kind of have horse blinders on, or we tend to see the world through rose colored glasses because we view these institutions as monolithic, but it's a very real thing that happens to people in their lives. And this is part of the reason why precious metals have historically been known as safe haven assets, right? Now, nothing is guaranteed, right? Full disclosure, anything could happen, especially in the strange times we're living is, but you, you, you know, you made the case, right? <laughs> I would hire you for sure. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about blockchain. So cryptocurrency and blockchain are not the same thing, right? And I think that people people believe that because it, it is a technology thing kind of combined with a hard mathematics thing, which makes it super interesting to everyone, right? They're like, you know, and people are like, oh, I get to learn about technology and math. <laughs> Sign me up for that. <laughs> right. When you say it doesn't win me, it didn't win me many dates back in the day, you know? That's true. You're like, hey, I can talk all day about math and uh, technology that nobody understands. But yeah, I mean, that's just, uh, that's, that's, that's what the ladies go for. I hear out in British Columbia. But so blockchain is a, is a system for keeping track of assets and a cryptocurrency is an asset. And what you're doing is you're using the blockchain as kind of the accounting tool for the asset. Is that correct? You, you've, you've essentially hit the nail on the head there. So cryptocurrency is a use case of blockchain technology. And it's, it's really just a distributed ledger for, for tracking on assets or the asset itself. And it's distributed in a sense where you have several different processors or computers processing the transaction to validate it, right? And through this validation, through this technology and mathematics, you remove the need for third parties, such as, you know, traditional financial institutions to, to uh, validate that this transaction is occurring, right? And because of this, currency was a great use case for things because it allows us to become more autonomous with our wealth. At least that's what, you know, a huge chunk of the community, that's what gets them pumped over the use case of the technology, right? Was, you know, and that's, that's really, you know, based on the Satoshi Nakamoto mythos, you know, the, the 2008 financial crisis in the United States was, was really the inspiration for for the innovation of Bitcoin and and sort of blockchain as we come to know it today. So yeah, just to, to quickly once over it, you know, blockchain technology is a distributed ledger that has a consensus algorithm performed by multiple processors and cryptocurrencies are, well, currencies and speculative assets in most circumstances that utilize this technology. But there are plenty of use cases beyond that. A great example would be something like medical records or or even uh, real estate would, are, 
and fractionalizing ownership of real estate or even even the real estate titles and ownership. You know, these kinds of things are practical, are great practical applications of blockchain technology because they they have real use case in, in tracking of, of valuable information. I'm kind of curious as to why the technology hasn't been as adopted as you think it would for things like title. And now I know that that a lot of that may be held in the legal institutions, right? Of, you know, who claims what makes a title or an ownership, but it seems like a technology well fit for those things. There's even, you know, like we had talked briefly earlier about like IFTs where they are for independent assets that are each unique you know, that that kind of tokenization can can say like, well, this house is this house. It's not just any house. Right. Like any Bitcoin is any Bitcoin. Right. But there's other ways to to independently. Each unique thing can have its own part of the ledger. And I don't want to get too deep into that kind of side of it, because honestly, I mean, I can already hear somebody's eyes glazing over who hasn't even heard it yet. They're going, <laughs> what are you talking about now? So but. Here's the thing. Why do you think, in your opinion, there hasn't been more technology on the blockchain that has really kind of blown up, you know, kind of like like search engines, you know, or like, you know, digital advertising or social media? There hasn't seemed to have been something created on it except for this speculative asset, which is I mean, it's pretty impressive on its own, but from blockchain itself. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, first off, there there are projects that are very successful that are that are moving ahead with these these kinds of initiatives. There's, it's a competition, a bit of an arms race, if you will, because the the technology itself is still in its infancy. And business, it, it takes time for businesses which have operated with legacy systems that, despite having inefficiencies around them, there's a level of comfort around them because everybody understands them. And so, educating and 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 proving value on an on, on technology that previously didn't exist is a is a tough thing to do. It takes a while for the industry to to catch up. Right. So there's that component of it. And I think that plays a really key role. I also do really think that there is an appearance, you know, sort of the stigma that comes with cryptocurrency and kind of stigmatizes blockchain a little bit. There's this very anarchists at times, you know, counterculture, when Lambo, when Moon, Dogecoin, you know, pump and dump type attitude if you were to go on a, a Bitcoin or a blockchain forum. And when businesses are like, oh, okay, well, I, I know Bitcoin and that uses blockchain technology, maybe we'll take a look at that. And that's the first thing that they're encountering with it. They're like, you know, it's a little, it's like, oh, okay, future of tech, future, future of money, future of, you know, distributed ledgers, my ass, right, is kind of like what people can walk away from with that because there is a level of immaturity that is displayed there. And that has been something that the industry at large has been fighting for, you know, the better part of four years now, ever since the last uh, market really blew it up. And, and so I think all of these things combine, you know, kind of drive why businesses have been slow to adopt or why we see we don't hear as much about these really interesting initiatives that are taking place for for real practical use cases of blockchain. And the reason you probably as well don't hear as much about them is because they're not as interesting uh, because they're not in the hype cycle of the media, right? While that company might have a stock, maybe they put that stock on a blockchain or maybe they tokenize shares or what have you, the, that blockchain in that use case, in the business use case is an integrated part of their business. It's not something that's going to appreciate 500,000% and, you know, get everybody massive mentions. So it's not as relevant in the news cycle because it's not driving investor sentiment and so on. 
You know, it's funny is, you know, when I was 2008 and I'm getting 0.4 cent paper clicks on Google, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? How come nobody else is doing this? And now, you know, the average click rate's like eight bucks, right? I mean, talk about inflation. But yeah, it's it's funny that these technologies that, that shift the way the business world works, you don't see them. It's kind of seeing the forest from the trees, right? You know, there's a lot of this stuff happening. And I, I think at least having a basic understanding of how a digital wallet works, right? Like, how do I sign up for a place where I can purchase some coin that is going to be uh, safe, effective, how does it work? How does the price fluctuations work and stuff? You know, and whether that's, you know, the load that has, you know, gold, silver backed coin or whether it's a speculative currency or something. I think it's good to kind of understand at least the basics of how the technology itself works. You don't have to know how a web server works to have a web page, but you should know how to update your website if you got it. Right. Ab- absolutely. If I can quickly hop in on that before uh, we get too deep on that subject, you touched on something really, really important. And and of course, education is is key if you're going, especially if you're going to be doing any kind of investing in any kind of market. You know, that's why I love Warren Buffett, even though he doesn't like cryptocurrency. He's like, I don't get it. I don't care about it. And so I'm not going to put my money into it. And I think that's the best attitude you could possibly have when it comes to, you know, investing. That being said, when it comes to the payment space, which, you know, I work in and in which a lot of cryptocurrencies work in, it's almost the inverse of what you've proposed. Blockchain for the longest time was really unintuitive to use. It was like pulling teeth just to go buy buy some cryptocurrencies. And in order to get people to use this money practically in their day-to-day lives, you know, part of the challenge that I face as an entrepreneur is how do I make using this currency as convenient as possible? When grandma goes to the grocery store and purchases with a credit card, she just taps and spends. She's not, like you said, you know, you don't need to know how a web server works to, to update your website, right? And the same, the same logic is it needs to be applied to this industry at large is making it convenient and useful because then people will begin to adopt it because it's easy, right? And so, you know, I, I don't think the industry is 100% there yet, but it's a heck of a lot better than where it was a few years ago. So that's that's promising to say the least. And now we've got finally at the point where big players like PayPal are entering the space and acknowledging these currencies as legitimate uh, forms of payment for businesses. And I think that's really, really encouraging to see overall. Yeah, I mean, if you accept PayPal at your business right now, people could purchase things from you with Bitcoin, right? Because they can have Bitcoin in their PayPal account and they can select that as, as, I mean, I think they have to transfer it into their account. But anyways, hypothetically, people could buy stuff from you with Bitcoin right now. And, you know, I, I think like having a credit card or something that, that can actually function on the Interact system or, you know, whatever the payment system is where you are, is there an, an, I mean, this is a question is, you know, our company is also a processor, so we understand how interchange and stuff works. But if somebody's going to use a card, you know, to from load or, you know, a Bitcoin card, whatever it is, whoever they have their card through, is that still going through like MasterCard or Visa, right? You still paying the man a cut to use the system kind of thing? Or is it like just straight out of your account or... 
Well, I mean, it really, it really depends on the kind of card program that you have, right? A lot of, lot of systems, what they do is you'll be like, Hey, you'll pay with your Bitcoin. But really what they're doing is the company is taking your Bitcoin and exchanging it for fiat and the fiat transaction goes through and thus the man gets their cut. And certainly Visa and MasterCard are, are running at breakneck speeds to, to put blockchain transactions into their ecosystem. But, but, but if it is a direct payment using cryptocurrency where you're you're the the merchant is accepting that currency as a form of payment they're not looking to collect fiat from you then it's just a, a two-party transaction and you've completely cut out the middleman there with the exception of the the software provider for your blockchain wallet right you just send the transaction goes directly to the merchant and there's no need for an interact system to play the the intermediary right right and you see some of those apps now where you know it'll it'll say like pay with Ethereum or Bitcoin or, you know, pay with crypto on a website, like an e-commerce site or something. And usually the provider is taking a cut, but it's minuscule compared to the amount that you take from a credit card, right? You know, some credit cards, you, if somebody comes to your business and they pay with a non-swiped, because they're using, you know, e-commerce, a non-swiped American Express points card, you're probably losing 25 2.6% of that transaction, right? Or more. Oh, uh, that's on the small side. Like, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a lot of credit card processors, this is one of the struggles we had in growing the business early on was finding processors that would give us f- fair rates. Some of them are like, well, we'll take 9%, like 9%, nine, 9% of every transaction is ridiculous. Right. And so, but, but the, I feel like the industry has been like, well, we're the only game in town for so long, right? This method was the only way of doing things for so long, which is why you have, you know, a lot of traditional finance businesses, banks, and so on is kind of flipping their lids over this and decrying cryptocurrencies is because it disrupts their established power structures. And I think that's really interesting and good for business, frankly. I think, I think that, you know, that competition breeds innovation. So, and, you know, especially in a world right now where, Everyone is trying to get a cut of everything that every small business does, which is struggling. Businesses are just dying from some of this stuff, right? You see places where, you know, the the provider to deliver their product is getting 30% or their software, right? And, you know, if you could just directly take cryptocurrency, that software provider is usually taking a fraction of a percent, right? I mean, a tiny amount. Or if it's like with a card, that has to go through a system like Interact or something, it might be half a point more than, you know, interchange or something, right? It's not going to be like a massive amount. It's not like your bank is going to bucket it into the 3.6% plus 45 cents a transaction bucket every time somebody swipes that Amex in your retail store, right? And I mean, that's a lot of money. And then take inflation on top of it and the stuff that's sitting on your shelves losing value, right? Every month and then yeah, you're hemorrhaging, you're hemorrhaging cash. It's brutal. And, you know, there's a, it's part of the reason that we're doing this is to provide people a better vehicle by which to do their business, live their lives, store their wells and, and so on and so forth. Right. So I think you're, you're really tapping into the core, the core value of what this project is really trying to deliver for people because there is That's a right. fight the need. power, <laughs> fight the power, fight the man. No, to that point though, uh, regulators, please don't come after us. No, uh, we actually, uh, there's, there's a balancing act that goes along with it, right? You want to challenge the space. You want to challenge the industry. Any entrepreneurs listening out there that want to uh, maybe get in, dip their toes into the blockchain space or work with the cryptocurrency, don't fear the regulators. They do do not have to be your enemy. 
you know, we've spent the better part of three years working very intensely in an industry where you go to sleep and something get banned and then you wake up and it would be unbanned again. And it's a little arduous at times, but by doing that, you're able to provide people a great product in a really safe manner that's compliant with all of the the regular sort of regulations that are out there. And so I, I just want to put that word of encouragement out there because it can seem very daunting or intimidating, or maybe at times it seems it's antithetical to each other, but they're not. And usually we find that regulators are very open to to working with this as long as you're coming forward in, in, in a, you know honest fashion. I honestly started in working around cryptocurrency six, seven years ago, probably I started doing a little bit of mining, you know, so I had a couple old computers with some good graphics cards, you know, some parallel processing graphics cards. I was crunching numbers, you know, getting a few coins and I was just randomly doing it for random different coins. I bought some mining contracts and stuff and, you know, and I, and I, and I made some coin and I sat on it, right. Because I was like, either this is going to go nowhere, right. Or, you know, it could potentially go up you know, and, and I mean, yeah, everybody wishes everything is going to go astronomical, but let's face it. It's, it's the pie in the sky stuff is called pie in the sky for a reason, right? Cause you can't reach up and grab the moon every time you <laughs> invest a buck, but you know, learning about how that works and learning some stuff about things like exchanges and things like that was on the more complicated side. Nowadays, it's like you sign up for an app. It's just like, I mean, it's usually easier than it is to get into like your, you know, your online bank or, you know, the app on your phone for your bank kind of works the same. And there's a whole bunch of different ones too. Right? And it's easy, right? But having a little bit of, of distributed money in some of the coins kind of and, and watching what's happened to them over the last five, six years has really been an eye opener for me. So, so is this one, is this your sort of soft serve into a, you know, I, I sold all my Bitcoin when it hit a hundred dollars type deal, or I'm curious what the result of your mining rig was. You know, it's funny. I didn't. So I had a lot of friends who were kind of jumping on that speculative bandwagon, which I think it was more gamble, gambling, right. Than speculation. Cause they didn't really know anything about the technology and they didn't know anything about what the coins are going to be used for or anything. They're just like, well, if this one goes up and then it goes down again, I'll buy it. And then I'll get up when it goes up again, I'll sell it. You know, most of them lost all their money. Right. What I did is I just sat on it all. And, and I, I sold a few kind of when they had some bumps up in the air, but I didn't sell all of it. I just sold enough so I could buy some other ones. And then I would kind of just do some basic research. Like what is this coin for? Why was it created? What is it going to be used for? Does that sound like a useful thing? And then I, I would hang on to that stuff. And, you know, some of them I bought for $200 and now they're worth $196. You know, I mean, I've, I've lost four bucks or something, you know, who cares? <laughs> some of them, yeah. you know, I made my money back, sold, you know, like, like when I had double or triple what I had originally put into that, I would sell it off for the original amount that I put in. And then it's still growing, right? So what I've done essentially is all of my crypto coin is free at this point because I've already paid off all the money I ever put into it. I paid for all the mining and stuff that I did originally. And so it's all free. So I don't know. I don't want to sell it because why would I sell it <laughs> if it's going to get more valuable? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a happy story, though. I mean, I talk to a lot of people and it's the old, you know, I thought it was useless and now the hard drive's in a dumpster and I can't get it back, you know? Right. <laughs> Or I sold it for six cents, but man, it went up to 25 cents. What an idiot I am. And now it's 50,000. 
Right. You never know. So I appreciate, I appreciate your methodology and the patience that you, that you had, that you approached it with. Cause even, even I, I remember, I think my brother and I got a one Bitcoin each for Christmas one year and they were maybe like, you know, 50 bucks at the time or something like that. And we were like, and we were kids, we were kids. We were just like, when, and when on God's green girth, am I ever going to use this? Whatever. Forgot about it. And then, you know, Bitcoin shoots for the moon. And, and now we're, we're really kicking ourselves over that. Mind you, I, I have a very healthy portfolio myself these days, but you know, that certainly would have expedited the process. You're like, I sold that for five bucks and I got two comic books. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, but here's the, the thing though, is what, what we're talking about is we're not talking about saying, you know, what can I do to make a living or make some easy money? Right. We're talking about, ways that you can, you know, technically you're, you're trying to invest money for the long term if you're in any kind of investing. Right. And like, there's lots of people who buy things because they think it's going to go up like a penny stock or whatever. Right. But I mean, if you're trying to have a stable long-term investment, you want stuff that doesn't have as much risk, you know, for the long term and things with more risk have more volatility in the short term. Right. And that's, just a law of investing. It's not anything to do. And I, I don't say in any way that I am some kind of master investor or anything far from it, but I understand the basics of math. Yeah. And a little common sense will take you a long way. That's right. And a little common sense will take you a long way. I, I definitely think that businesses, small businesses and, and small business owners really need to be looking at not just cryptocurrency, but blockchain in general for the things that it can be used for and the things that are coming up and, uh, you know, payment systems and ways to accept currency and stuff like that are going to be coming out. And they're, they're already here now, but they're going to be more prevalent as time goes on. And uh, I think it's worth it to uh, take a look at, at that kind of technology. Yeah, I, I have to tend to agree with you. You know, if you follow your nose and, and look at what governments are doing and what these big institutions are doing, huge amount of money is being invested in either creating, you know, blockchain assets for, for fiat currencies, which to me is like putting lipstick on a pig. But, <laughs> but it becomes very obvious that a, a lot of the large players in finance and, and other industries are coming around as well, although to, it is to a lesser extent. I do believe that these payment systems will become the predominant, you know, solution in the, in the next five to 10 years, right? It just seems like the natural evolution. We know that there are inefficiencies. You know, we know that blockchains are immutable, which is an advantage that they're more transparent. There's a lot of advantages to going on technology like this. And so, you know, I think you're right. You, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you should do some educating of yourself and, and, and take the time to learn, you know, how best to apply these to your business, even if that is as simple as integrating a, a, a plugin on your Shopify store, or your e-commerce website, right? It, um, I think it's the future. There's no other way I can really put that. Nick, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to learn some more about Load.One or maybe learn a little bit more about your tokenization of assets, how is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Absolutely. So you can head on over to Load.One and create a member account in like 30 seconds and 
directly talk to a real human being on our support chat and book a call with an ambassador like myself. And we'll be happy to answer any questions you have. We're a really friendly group of people. We also have a Telegram channel, uh, which you can access again from the website at load.one, where we've got, you know, well over a thousand people in there, you know, really, really galvanized people that are, you know, open to collaborating and discussing the industry with you. You can reach out to me directly there as well. And then if you're, if you're just want to watch some videos and maybe do some more learning and stay on the outskirts and maybe track and trend on us, you can always find us online at load pay media is usually our handle there. So whether that's Twitter, YouTube, medium, you know, anything else that you can possibly conceive of at load media is where you can find us. Nice. And that's L O D E load dot one Nicholas Fruton. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about blockchain and cryptocurrency and tokenization of gold and silver. I think all of these are fascinating topics. I wish we had longer to talk about it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. It was an absolute pleasure. Take care. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.